Thank you. I wanted to first thank uh, the Rights Working Group and in particular Jumana Musa for working to put this discussion together. This is an important topic and much more public discussion should take place before any proposals are put forth to establish E-Verify as the sole gatekeeper to everyone's ability to work lawfully in the United States. E-Verify, as you've heard from my co-panelists Emily and Chris, is an identification system. Uh, any identification system will involve multiple layers of complex interdependent systems that must work well when joined for the purpose of determining uh, eligibility to work in this case. Uh, in a publication, ID is not that easy. Questions about national identity systems uh, were addressed by the National Research Council in this 2002 publication. Basically, they outlined that the success or failure of such a system is not just dependent on the individual components, but on how well they work together in tandem. Uh, employment verification is a large, complex security challenge uh, that requires an end-to-end -end concern for security from the voter, from the um, registration process through the uh, employment process. The, uh, my contribution to this discussion will focus on privacy and ID systems, uh, taking a look at some of the basic issues around identification systems that we've seen in the past. According to Christian Parente's The Soft Cage, Surveillance in America from Slavery to the War on Terror, ID systems have been deployed in the United States for centuries, beginning with the European colonists' interest in controlling the travel of persons of Native American ancestry. Then the focus shifted to the control of travel by indentured servants, still later to the control of travel by slaves, and later to manage immigration by persons of Chinese ancestry. However, the first national ID system, as Chris pointed out, was a social security number, or SSN. It was created to manage government benefits and tax payments, but today it is used for business pur purposes as a record tracker for a wide range of consumer interactions that include medical care to financial services. Now, the, the biggest issue with taking identification systems that were created for one pur purpose and shifting over to another use is that it immediately creates opportunities for abuse and misuse, which comes in the form of identity theft, which most people are aware of because they've received a letter from someone explaining that their uh, data was lost. Uh, national ID systems uh, are established for a variety of reasons. According to Richard Sobel, in a Boston University Law Journal article published in 2002, race, politics, and religion are often the drivers behind the deployment of ID systems. The fear of insurgents, religious differences, immigration, or political extremism have been the catalyst for establishing ID systems that result in undesirables in a country or state having to register with the government or make themselves vulnerable in the open without proper papers. A few of the more recent examples of how horribly wrong an ID system can become include the 1994 genocide in Rwanda, which was based on tribal information found on that country's national ID. In 100 days, Hutu-led militias killed over 800,000 Tutsi and moderate Hutus. In July 2006, in Iraq, Shia militiamen established a fake checkpoint and killed up to 50 Sunnis after examining their identification documents in that region of the world. A name can identify someone as being Shia or Sunni. 
These are extreme examples of abuse, and I'm not suggesting that this is something we need to fear or be concerned about in the United States, but it points out the international global struggle around national identity and identification documents when there are certain factors present, specifically the emergence of economic or political power as a minority group shifts from being minority into majority. Those are usually the catalysts that create conditions where IDs systems emerge or become prescient in the minds of, prescient in the minds of those who are pushing them. ID systems often limit access to societal benefits. At the lower ranks of where we see a lot of pressure points is when societal benefits are, are controlled by the need to have a, a some form of identity document that the state issues. A recent example of this uh, form of ID system abuse in the United States occurred during last year's presidential election when persons without the proper form of government-issued ID were barred from voting or threatened with being barred from voting. It took a great deal of effort on the part of local, state, and national activists to assure that voters could cast ballots in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin. The underlying issue was not just the ID itself, but the manipulation of ID requirements through underlying documents needed to obtain a voter ID. An example of, of just persons who would have had, had difficulty with this, these changes were there were people who were born in rural or poor states prior to 1950 might have found it very difficult to obtain a birth certificate, uh, and specifically a state-certified birth certificate, uh, in order to prove their identity. Uh, the manipulation of the system was in, was in such disarray that many state courts uh, ruled that those laws would not be enforced. This is a cautionary tale about what could happen should a specific form of ID control who can be employed and those who can seek work. This is not a discussion about being a citizen or not being a citizen, but about access to the underlying required documents to obtain a clearance from E-Verify to work. And there's no guarantee that what is required today will remain the requirement into the future. Further, the burden of proving identity can fall heavier on, as Chris pointed out, on women, but also on transgender persons because they may change names when changing marital status or gender assignment. The issue of proof of identity can also be complicated by formal or informal adoptions. Informal adoptions were very common in the African-American community, and there may be no records, either informal or oral, regarding the condition of birth. The key requirement for any ID system are its purposes. So we're talking about a work ID system, which could require proof of citizenship, proof of identity, proof of skills or training, proof of residency, proof of past or current employment, proof of marital status, proof of reproductive status, uh, biometrics, all to try to narrow down that you are, in fact, the person you claim to be. Now, when we're looking at the issue of privacy, we're talking about the rules that govern your rights to control who has access to personal information. Privacy is the foundation upon which other fundamental constitutional rights, such as freedom of religion, association, political beliefs, ownership rights, location privacy, family privacy, and freedom of expression rest. The right to privacy is defined by your degree of control over your personal information. But the disclosure of that information coming at the demand of a government agency that states you will not be allowed to work unless you provide this information removes a great deal of individual autonomy. 
The final challenge is the pace with which new technologies or ways of being able to access identity documents may make it less transparent to document holders, such as in the case of the Western Hemisphere Travel Initiative document, which was deployed in the several states. Um, uh, well, it started in about 2009, uh, the requirement that um, states began to issue these border transfer documents where you can cross from the U.S. into Canada and back. Uh, they're issued in the form of uh, driver's licenses. The states of Michigan, New York, Vermont, and Washington are using RSID, or radio frequency identification technology, in their driver's license documents that allow the reading of those documents from a distance. The corresponding record identifier, which is the data that the reader might pick up, combined with the information that may be on the magnetic strip on, the, on a driver's license, can allow a third party to begin to create their own record system based on uh, a witty driver's license uh, RFID uh, number and then the corresponding data on that, that document. The vulnerability in these systems exists when they are not limited to one purpose. A driver's license was initially issued to be sure that persons were qualified to operate a motor vehicle. Now it's used as a proof of short-term credit worthiness for allowing people to cash checks, for allowing people onto airplanes, controlling access to tobacco and alcohol, or entering a building. After decades of debate and local, state, and federal decision makers reached the decision that controlling access to alcohol and tobacco by young people was so important that the IDs would be required. We have had no such debate about other uses of ID documents, of, of the driver's licenses for other purposes. The challenge is to create definitions for the term personally identifiable information in the world of an ever-shifting definition of what is personal information. So if we are going to fight for the privacy rights of individuals, we have to be assured that transparency, knowing when data is being collected and why it's being collected, accountability, who's responsible for the data collection and what are the limits of the use of that data, accountability of who will be responsible should something happen with the abuse and misuse of that data, and then a private right of action so that individuals have the ability to seek redress, especially in the case of being denied employment rights. When DHS sought uh, non-e-verified uses of the data in their system of records notice published in May 9, 2011, raised a number of questions. Uh, in the minds of privacy and civil liberties advocacy organizations. The three things they wanted to be able to do with e-verify data that had nothing to do with employment were uh, e-verify could be used for law enforcement. They specifically cited uh, to prevent abuse of e-verify, prevent discrimination, and to prevent identity theft, but they did not limit use for law enforcement to only those areas, which means that the things they list sound reasonable, but the purposes they may actually put that data to may be unbounded. There was also a dispute, uh, distribute, they also want to distribute e-verify records uh, with un, without restraint uh, to public and private parties, which means businesses or commercial sector uh, may have access to that data. The, the agency also reserved the right to disclose e-verify data to the news media and to the public with a list of vague exceptions. 
we also have to look at the adoption of other forms of identification in e-verified documents, whether they're biometrics, which would require fingerprints, and some people think it only means a thumbprint, but from looking at DHS implementation of U.S. visit, um, it's going to be 10 prints. Uh, it may also include iris scans. Iris scans are a particular privacy interest because you can read an iris scan from what we know now to be 60 feet away, but we know research is looking at 100 plus feet away, which means that walking through a doorway, walking along a sidewalk, and if combine that with pub public and private access to that data would make you know knowable or identifiable in public space 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The event of the deployment of a system like this without proper constraints, limiting how that data can be used and creating accountability uh, on the part of those who deploy the system to the individuals who might be harmed by inaccurate information uh, are serious. And we should be thinking in terms of due process must allow a private right of action compensation based on the employment opportunity foregone and redress of harms for incorrect information shared outside of the agency. We know that we have a 14th Amendment and we know we have a Voting Rights Act that protects our right to vote, but we also know that the battles for voting rights are ongoing and persistent. So even with a constitutional amendment, uh, we still know we have issues that have to be fought. We have no constitutional guarantee of a right to work. And without a constitutional guarantee that protects a right to employment or at least not to be denied employment because of uh, insufficient programs that are basically on the on being tested as they as they're being deployed can expose people to harms uh that we cannot calculate at this point in time thank you